You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Welcome to Season 2 of the Australian Finance Podcast. In this episode, I'm taking a look at coronavirus and the implications it presents for investors and indeed for us as citizens of Australia. I'll discuss some of the key things that you can do to prepare your finances for whatever the stock market or financial markets throw at us next. And of course, I'll include some great show notes if you want to explore this topic in more detail. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Australian Finance Podcast. My name is Owen Ruskovich. Today, it's little old me and you on this podcast. That's right, Kate is away or about to go away to Europe of all places. And I thought a great way to kick off Season 2 is just to have a short conversation about a topic that's on everyone's mind. In a few weeks, I'm hoping to start incorporating some interviews And we can discuss uh, life events and kind of these unique topics that come across our desk as uh, financial professionals, but also as people who just go about our lives. So I'm talking about we might answer some questions or have some episodes on topics like, oh, my God, I just got engaged. How the heck do I prepare financially for a wedding? Another one that people come across, which is arguably one of the most important life events of all, which is, hey, we're pregnant. How do we start saving for our child? These are obviously really important topics to address, and I hope to get to them in the next few months. Perhaps I'll get some experts on to talk us through these life events and how to best manage them financially, and also to give you some tips and tricks to take away, and I guess if you're in these life stages, to, uh, I guess, prepare for them as best you can. This week, 
as it says on the tin, this episode is about something that is making headlines all across the world, and it has implications for us as investors here in Australia. And that, of course, is the coronavirus, and potential implications for us here in Australia could include something called a recession. So I'm hoping to discuss this topic, or these topics, from the perspective of an investor and try and break down some of the things that we've been seeing in headlines recently. But before I get to that, I just want to say thank you to everyone who follows this podcast and has then gone and taken one of our free courses on RASC Education. RASC Education is our education website, which provides free courses on investing, budgeting, ETF investing, shares, and more. By far, our most popular course is our ETF Investors course, followed by our shares course for beginners and then our intermediate business valuation course. You'll find a link in the show notes. So if you want to go take one of those, please do. Maybe you can pause or you can do it after the show because this is a really important episode that I have for you. Okay, so let's start talking about what's gone on over the last couple of months. And I am by no means an expert when it comes to viruses or pneumonia or flu or anything like that. I'm not here to say uh, what you should do or what you shouldn't do. All I can do is point you to some great resources in the show notes and give you a summary um, of what's happened and then maybe some of the implications for our personal finances, ways to prepare, um, things you can do now that prepare you for these types of events and I guess also set you up for the recovery that will inevitably ensue. So first of all, what is the coronavirus? Well, it's a virus that as of recording in March 2020, there is no known cure or vaccine for. Um, we've had some pretty tragic news out of places like China, Iran, Italy, and even uh, South Korea, and then um, further abroad into Europe. So it's definitely affecting the world. We've also seen it here in our own backyard. We've seen it affect quite a few Australians, and that will likely increase unless we take some drastic action. And by that, I mean we can come to expect that events will be cancelled. Um, sporting events, for example, should be cancelled. Travel will be restricted, severely restricted, and we will likely see maybe not so severe lockdown, or at least I hope not. I'm not an expert on this once again, but given what we've seen abroad and some of the experts that I've heard talk on this topic, it is very important that we take drastic measures to stop this virus spreading. And this virus is um, similar but different to many other viruses and flus or severe flus that we've seen in the past. Uh, I, once again, I've attached some show notes which uh, explain in greater detail what is actually going on. Another podcast that you can listen to, which I highly recommend, is the Jolly Swagman podcast by Joe Walker. In particular, his most recent episode, which discusses uh, pandemics, and uh, he speaks to a mathematician about some of the different ideas and some of the ways that we could solve this problem for our country and for our planet. It's a really highly recommended podcast. I will link to that in the show notes. So I'm not pretending to be an expert on coronavirus, but this is not the first severe, and when I mean severe, outbreak or virus that we've seen in Australia. In the past, we had the H1N1 virus, which was otherwise known as the swine flu, for those of you who can remember it. And we also were impacted, although to a much lesser extent, by the SARS outbreak. So both of these uh, viruses and both of these, I guess, pandemics were global issues and they were in the 2000s. So the SARS in the early 2000s and the swine flu or H1N1 in the late 2000s, 2009, 2010. I've provided links in the show notes so you can get an understanding of, I guess, those 
outbreaks and how we handled them um, and some of the learnings and some of the things that we've um, installed in the Australian um, government and elsewhere to kind of preempt the next outbreak, such as this one. The other thing that I really wanted to address here is that obviously this is a tragedy. I will be talking about investing in uncertain environments. I am no, in no way making light of what is by far the most important thing, um, which is human life and human existence. So um, it doesn't matter to me if someone is Australian, Italian, Chinese, white, black, domestic or foreign, the loss of human life is tragic. So even though I'll be talking about this from an investor's perspective and, and how we can deal with that from a personal finance point of view, which is where my expertise lies, it is obviously tragic and I do not mean to make light of it in any way. Okay, so once again, please refer to the show notes if you want more information on that. Now I'm going to get to the finance part and how um, we as investors can um, prepare ourselves and what we've seen so far and I can kind of break down some of the reasons why we're seeing the things that we're seeing. So let's first talk about, I guess, China because China made the headlines with this virus because that's it's believed that that's where the virus started. Now, this is important because China is obviously one of the economic superpowers in the world. You know this because almost everything that you buy from the shops says made in China on the back, right? But this is um, a really recent thing in terms of the evolution of capital markets. So when the uh, SARS virus broke out, um, that was in the early 2000s. And at the time, China accounted for only about 4%. So 4%, you can count that on one hand, of GDP for the world. So gross domestic product. Think about everything that's created in the world. They accounted for about 4% of it, right? But now it's over 16%. So 2020, 2019, 2020, China is 16% of the global economy. And it is uh, where this problem started. And as of the date of this recording, which is early to mid-March, it is still the most deeply affected uh, country and place on the planet for coronavirus. So naturally, you're going to have a flow-on effect, right? We're going to have um, these manufacturing sites in China saying we're going to halt production of X, Y, and Z uh, widgets. So it might be, you know, we're not going to create any more uh, phones or we're not going to create any more cups or plates or lamps or whatever it is that they make at their factories. They're not going to do that because they need to keep everyone quarantined and in a safe space. So we might not see this immediately here in Australia, although arguably we are seeing this already. You 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 might still be able to go to the supermarket and buy something because there's inventory on those shelves or there were ships already sailing by the time this broke out, right? So it may take a few months. So what we're seeing now might not be necessarily the worst of the shortage in the supply of these types of uh, inputs to our lives. Another thing that we've come across is um, we've already started to see things like travel being restricted, right? So um, Qantas is a company that's listed on the stock exchange, so you can go in and you can read their media releases and their files on your brokerage account. And I read one update from Qantas this week, which said that they're cutting international flights for the next six months. So they've already seen a significant drop in international flights. So that's having an impact on their business. And what is likely to come about as a result of that is we're likely to see um, things like maybe not so much job layoffs, but maybe things like um, people going on unpaid leave or being forced to take leave in certain respects because they simply don't have the work there. Another one is a company like Blackmore. So Blackmore's creates the vitamins and 
those things that make us feel good, right? Or at least we think they do. Maybe it's just a placebo. I don't know. You're the expert on this, not me. But Blackmores has come out and said, hey, we're not going to be able to manufacture. We perceive at least a two to three month shortfall in um, the key supply and disruption to our, I guess, our global supply for these products. So even though people might be rushing into the chemist to buy them, they're just simply not there because they haven't been manufactured and they can't get to the shelves in time. But then we see another effect. We see things like plumbing businesses and construction companies. So if you're, you know, if you're working on someone's house who's, um, or you're about to say you're a plumber or you're a builder and a, a client's just come in and said, we want this house built. Uh, it's a wonderful house. It's going to cost us $400,000. But then that person is now forced to work from home and their job is uh, insecure and they're not sure what's going to happen with their income. They might think, well, hey, um, you know what? We might not actually go ahead with this building right now. We might wait a few months. So then you kind of see those second order effects and, and they all play a part in hurting or just impacting the economy. So the next one, which is arguably the thing and the reason you're listening to this is the Australian share market. It has fallen. Global share markets have fallen. Why has the Australian share market fallen? I'm going to get to some of the ways that you can deal with that in just a second. But for now, most listeners will be thinking, oh my God, this is terrible. Why would anyone be an investor? Because for most listeners, chances are this is, especially if you're a first-time investor, this is the first time you've experienced a market correction or a market crash, right? This is what we talk about when we say that the market corrects up to a 20% or 10% fall every 357 days. So I've said that repeatedly on the show for the reason of it preparing you mentally for these types of uncertain situations. And what I can say to you now is welcome to the party. This uncertainty and this um, reaction from investors is the reason that investing works in the long term. If everything was rosy and everything was great all the time, there would be no opportunity to make more money than someone else. Because if we all do the same thing, we're all just going to get average results. But in the share market, you are paid more for the risk that you take relative to things like, say, putting your money in a term deposit or a savings account. There are two more things and there are two more impacts that we've already seen as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. And the first one is, have you been to the fuel pump? Have you filled up your car? I filled up my car this week with uh, petrol and I noticed that the prices were really low. So they were like 40 or 50 cents below what I last filled up for just a few months ago, a few weeks ago, sorry. So why are fuel prices so low? That's probably a natural question too. Well, Oil prices, so oil is what makes the fuel that you put in your car. Oil prices globally have fallen by about 40% in the last week. And the reason that that's happened is some countries are dependent on oil production for their economy to move forward. So here in Australia, we dig out of the ground a lot of resources which go into the Chinese manufacturing sector. So companies here in Australia like BHP, Fortescue, Rio Tinto, these are the types of huge companies that take the product out of the ground, ship it by massive cargo ships over to China, and the iron ore becomes steel. And that steel then goes into railways, it goes into buildings, it goes into all different types of things. And this is just, that's just iron ore, right? So our country is heavily dependent on the resources sector, but other countries are heavily dependent on oil prices. So there are countries in the Middle East and places like Russia that depend on oil prices staying high. 
And the way that that works is different to the way that the iron ore market works. In the oil market, it's a constant state of uh, movement in the oil market because oil is consumed and then more oil is consumed. It's not like steel where you build a building and then that's it. You don't need to rebuild it every second week. You don't need to fill up again on steel the next week, right? So the oil markets are slightly different. And the way that they work is that there are certain groups around the world that control the supply of oil. So they deliberately want to keep prices high. And if you've done Economics 101, if there is lots of oil and lots of petrol at the Bowser, the fuel service station will drop the price on the fuel to entice you to buy more. Because, hey, they need to get rid of it. There's so much supply, but there's only limited demand from us consumers. So we have to get in. They want us to buy more and more and more, even though, I mean, what are we going to do with extra fuel? But you get the idea. And what's happened is overseas in countries where uh, they are dependent on the production of iron or of oil, sorry, where their employees are employed by these big refineries or, you know, big, um, just different types of organizations where they pump the oil out of the ground. Um, what they're, what they're dependent upon is keeping those people in a job so that then they can contribute to the economy and keep the economy going through this tough time. But then what we've seen from other countries in the world who are supposed to be in agreement with these other parties, they're trying to say, well, hey, if you're going to keep producing oil, but we've agreed that we won't produce more oil, so we keep prices high, we're going to keep producing oil and we're going to drop prices. And so we've had one of the most powerful oil company uh, producing nations in the world, which is Saudi Arabia, come out and say, we're going to drop the price of oil so that anyone else that tries to compete with us on oil production and tries to flood the market will be... Um, you know, they'll be booted out. We've got the lowest prices, so we will just flood the market until everyone else realizes that, hey, they shouldn't do that and they should just tow the party line, right? So that's a complicated, long story to explain why oil prices have fallen. It's because there's so much supply coming onto the market from countries that want to keep their production going so they can keep people employed. The final thing is, and this is one that will hit home for you most likely, interest rates have fallen. So interest rates here in Australia, interest rates overseas have fallen. And so this is a response from um, not the government, but the central banks, so the people that control effectively the money flow in the economy. They've said, we need to lower interest rates so people pay less on their mortgages, so people start spending more money because they feel a bit better about their budgets. But the flip side of that is, while it's great for your mortgage, the flip side is that People who depend on their savings, so retirees, people that are investors who have a lot of cash sitting around, all of a sudden, they're getting nothing for their money, virtually nothing. So we've already had what are what were record low interest rates here in Australia now drop to definitely record low interest rates. And so it's a double-edged sword. You have on one side, you have people wanting to take on more debt and, and do those types of things. But on the other side, you have people that are trying to save that can't. So the, the issue that we have from all of this, from interest rates dropping, while it's great for our mortgages, the issue that we have is people feel like they want to take on more debt or they think, hey, this borrowing power calculator said I could only take on uh, 500000 Now it's saying 600000 because interest rates have dropped. Now, that's not exactly uh, how it works. There's a bit more science behind it, but you get the idea. People think, okay, interest rates are down. Now's the time to take on more debt. As I'm going to get to in just a moment, I don't think that that's a very good thing right now. In fact, I don't think that debt is a good thing at the best of times. We've had the uh, the debts episode and how you can get rid of your, your, your debts like afterpay, credit cards, 
um, excess personal loans, car loans, those types of things. Debt is not something that you want to be taking on when you're in an uncertain environment with a, with when you feel insecure about your job. These are the last things you want to be doing with your finances. Okay, so now that I've spent a long while rehashing what's happened and trying to, um, I guess, debunk some of the myths about why these events are occurring, let's talk now about the next steps. So the question's on, question on just about everyone's mind um, is, is there a recession coming here to Australia? I would say that I have really no crystal ball, but if I did have one and I could gaze into it, my answer would be, I don't know, probably. So that's my <laughs> generally right rather than specifically wrong answer to this. I would say it's likely that we'll experience a recession. So then the next question is, well, what is a recession? If you're anything like I was, you probably picture something like London in the 1920s where there's horses and carts and then there's some of those early cars getting on the streets and, and some guys waving a paper saying recession, recession, recession. Well, the first thing to know is that is not what a recession would look like here in Australia in this century. In fact, it would look a lot different to that. So what is a recession? Well, a recession is virtually the opposite of growth. So when I mentioned gross domestic product or GDP earlier on, technically, a recession is just two quarters of a year, meaning one half of a year, where the economy goes backwards. So let's say that the economy is reported to drop 5% in the first quarter of 2020, and then in the second quarter, it drops another 5%. Uh, that is a 10% decline, let's say, for round figures overall, but that's a 10% decline, and that happens over six months. That is a recession. Technically, that's all a recession is. Now, of course, the media will scream at you saying, recession, recession, quick, fear, you know, danger, danger, close. We The insinuation is that a recession is a horrible thing and it's a terrible place to be. But I want you to cast your mind back um, to instances where the economy has slowed in the past. So 2009, we didn't technically fall into a recession here in Australia because of our resources sector, but it was a tough time. What we've also found is that most recessions aren't nearly as severe as what you are casting your mind back to in the early 1920s, which was a depression. So that is different to a recession. A recession, in my opinion, is nowhere near as bad as that depression, which lasts for many years. What we are likely to see, in my opinion, and this is just a very shallow um, opinion at that. I'm not basing this on a lot of economic data. I'm just saying we're not likely to see a huge recession where people are, you know, where 20% of people are out of jobs or 40% of people are out of jobs. I just don't think that that's likely. It is a possibility, but I do not think that that's likely. So then the next question is, uh, if we know what a recession is, it's maybe going to happen. Um, does it matter to long-term investors like you and I? Well, I'm going to be a bit more uh, general again in this one. And I'm going to say maybe, but maybe not as much as you'd think. So most recessions aren't nearly as bad as what your brain is signaling to. But some recessions are very bad. You know, you can just look at parts of Europe from around 2009, which is when the global financial crisis started in effect, to around 2012, 2013. And I'm looking at you, Greece. These countries struggled severely during that time, and arguably they were in a recession for that whole period. But again, if I guess, I don't think we're headed into one of those severe recessions because there is a lot going for the Australian economy. I think bringing this back to you and I and the situations that we feel day to day, 
I think there are kind of three camps that people will fall into. The first one is that you keep your job. In a recession, if you keep your job and you keep your pay and everything's kind of going forward as normal, a recession can actually be a good thing for you because you can use the money that you're already collecting from your salary and you can keep investing. You can keep buying shares or who knows, you might even have enough money to buy a property. You might have enough money to buy things that are cheaper because people are just selling them very, very cheaply. Um, so the question here to ask is how secure is your job, right? So how how secure do you feel about your job? But also, is the company secure in its uh, place as, um, I guess, an organization? So, you know, sometimes you can be great at your job, but the company itself is struggling. So what Kate and I have always said is make yourself valuable to the team. You know, you can go back and listen to our episode on salaries and, and getting a pay rise, um, upskilling. You know, one of the things that's probably just a no-brainer right now is you don't want to be the negative Nelly at work. Don't be the person that's like really complaining about things, really just trying to uh, find a way to get out of work because right now is when the team needs to work together. Regardless of whether you hate it, love it, or you're indifferent to your workplace, you kind of need to get on the front foot and want to do those extra hours and want to do that because... I can tell you as a business owner, you need people in your team that do that. And the ones that don't are the ones that get looked upon unfavorably. You can also look about looking to getting a side hustle. You know, we've talked about this a lot. We had a separate episode on this. Why not? Now's as good a time as any. Um, and again, always you can find something that you're passionate about and you can spend an hour on that each day. You can spend half an hour on it. I would say if you haven't done some of the things that I'm about to tell you to do in this episode you know, to your finances, that's probably where your first point of call should be. So some of the things that I'm going to tell you to do as we get through the rest of this episode are the things that you should do first with your hour each day. Okay, so the second camp that people might fall into is I'm not up to my gills in debt. You know, I don't have interest um, bills coming at me. I don't have credit card bills. I don't have overdue after pay repayments. I don't have these types of things. But you also have a cash buffer. So you're not up to your gills in debt. You've also got that cash buffer. So as always, we say, get that cash buffer. Up to six months of your living expenses is ideal. Um, two grand is absolute minimum. That's kind of like where you should start at. Um, if you've, if you kind of paid down your debts or like you've sorted them out and you've got your cash, you're doing a great job. So you are, you know, by far and away, you are, you're crushing it. So times of uncertainty, like now, are times when every investor needs a cash buffer. So it's not necessarily that you need to draw down on that cash. So it's not like you've got $10,000 sitting in a high interest savings account or in your offset account and you're thinking, oh, you know, I'll just draw down on that now. You don't necessarily need to do that. But what it does for you is it gives you the peace of mind to think, you know what? Even though this outbreak is happening, I'm still going to buy those things online. I'm still going to spend money at the local store. I'm you know, maybe not so much go out right now, but you might still buy presents for family when it's their birthday, or you might invest um, with your 10 or 20% that you put aside every month for your for your investing account. You might do all the things or just about all of the things that you would normally do, and you don't have to take on extra debt to do that. You can keep the money in an offset account or in your redraw, um, you know, and you've got that there. It's kind of like this peace of mind cash, and that's what it is all about. And if you've listened to this episode and indeed the first um, 11 episodes of this series uh, and you've put into practice the things that we've been preaching for over a year, well, you are going to be far better placed than most people. Now, the final camp is 
um, those that are impacted by a recession and um, tend to be severely impacted by the recession. Um, so from my research, the problem with really bad recessions is that it's people who don't prepare or can't prepare that go backwards very quickly during uncertainty or during times of recession. I'm going to use that word recession, even though it might not be as bad as what you know you, you paint in your mind. So less wealthy or otherwise known as poorer people, and this is a generalization, are vulnerable to recessions for a few reasons. The first is an obvious one, and it goes back to their job security. You know, they might not have a job that is as secure as a professional's, or they might not um, have a lucrative salary where they can survive off one income for the household and meet all the costs and still keep their cash and do all those types of things. So job security is low for these types of people. And then if you go into a recession, it's already low. It's now got a lot lower. In fact, it could mean that you have to take time away from work or you have to get a second job. Another issue with this group or this camp is that um, these people are often unable or haven't been able to save $2,000 in an emergency cash buffer. So you might be thinking, well, Owen, come on, seriously, who's in that camp? Now, people that are also listening to this thinking, that's me, I'm in that camp. So consider these numbers from a 2014 government survey that I I dug up. So of those people who cannot afford to find $2,000 of cash within a week, so you cannot piece that together within a week to cover a medical bill or to cover whatever it might be, 6% of that group have a postgraduate degree, but 30% haven't completed high school. So yes, this is me generalizing here, but what we see is that it's typically the people that don't have the education and don't have um, who, who don't have the financial means to get themselves comfortable in this position. And the final one, the final reason that people end up in this camp is that, or that are already in this camp from birth because they've inherited these uh, situations from their um, parents or from their family or from the people around them, is the people that get hurt in a recession have failed to diversify. So this is another generalization. But because people have limited education, so they probably don't know what um, diversification truly is, they have a limited means financially, and they've inherited poorly developed financial habits, so many Australians have not properly diversified. So as you know from our earlier episodes, I think we did an entire episode just on the concept of diversification and how it's not necessarily, you know, as cliche as don't put all your eggs in one basket. This is a lot more serious than just eggs and baskets. This can extend from where you work, where your partner works, where you spend your money, where you pay your bills. So uh, where you invest your money. Uh, Do you invest in a super fund that is involved in property, but you also work in the construction sector? You know, so there's There's these instances where people kind of line up all of their eggs in that basket, but without really knowing what they're doing. So another thing that people in this group have done or failed to do when they fail to diversify is they think of their home, that is their primary residence, their house, their place that they live as an asset, right? And so they funnel all of their money into a home. Now, it's great to have offsets and get ahead on redraw facilities and do all those types of things. Those are fantastic things. And I hope every one of you have done that if you have a mortgage. You've invested money into your mortgage ahead of time, so you are ahead on your payments. But my belief is that a house is not an asset 
as you think it is. So yes, we've become, uh, we've become accustomed to having um, home prices go up dramatically over the past 20 to 30 years because we've been recessionless. But in my opinion, a house with a mortgage is a liability masquerading as an asset. And that's because during times of uncertainty, you don't make money from your house. You don't make an income from your home. In fact, it's the opposite. You end up paying more during these times because you might feel vulnerable and you still have to meet the repayments. So that's why I've always taken offense to the Australian dream. That said, if you prepare yourself financially otherwise, it is absolutely the gold standard of things that you can do with your money. Having a house is a fantastic thing. It's only when we overextend ourselves and we forget that maybe you know we should be investing outside of the home that it becomes an issue. So it's a fantastic lifestyle asset, quote unquote, but always be mindful that it might not be the asset that you think it is. So I'm going to give you a summary of this group, right? These people that are impacted or not impacted by a recession. If you have followed our steps on getting a budget, building a cash buffer, listened to and actioned our steps on pay rises and career goals, you've paid down your nasty debt, so there was a debts episode, and you've crushed your insurance and super, so you've got that all sorted, and maybe you've begun investing, you are just about as prepared as you'll ever be for whatever the economy throws at you. In fact, I would say there's really nothing else you can do. So don't be hard on yourself if you're in that situation. You are doing a fantastic thing for your future self. Recession or not, you're doing great things to be prepared for whatever comes next. So if you haven't actioned the steps, and we talk about this all the time, please, please, please go back to those episodes. Use your one hour of time for you each day to go back, listen to the episodes, and then immediately put into action all the things that we talk about. You know, just getting on top of your budget, starting to build a cash buffer, getting rid of those debts, making sacrifices to achieve savings up to 20% of your income, so then you can invest and you can save. Sort out your insurance and super. That doesn't cost you anything. Um, And once you've done all that and you've saved your emergency cash buffer, begin investing outside of the family home. My philosophy has always been prepare for the worst, expect the best, because you've got to be an eternal optimist. If you're someone who is very pessimistic about the world, you know, it's not stars, it's satellites that are looking down upon you, those types of people that are very cynical about just the world at large, investing is going to be very tough for you. Because if you aren't optimistic, you could be like my grandma, who used to put all of her cash in a jar and bury it beneath the cucumbers in the backyard, but you're not going to get ahead. Everyone else is going to get ahead who is optimistic and believes in a long-term better society and better future, right? Which is coming. You know, we might not notice it day to day and I'll get to that in just a moment. But you've got to be optimistic and you've got to be thinking, okay, this is about the long-term. That's where we're headed. We're headed up to the right, which is where all stock market charts go over any reasonable length of time. So that's what you should be focused on. Get yourself sorted now and let's focus on that. Okay, so what are your choices now as an investor? Well, if you have invested some money, and I got an email the other day from someone saying, and this was on a Friday, they said, I just invested for the first time. And then on the Monday was when all of this stuff started happening, all of the crashes and the falls and all of the big one-day drops that we've experienced. Um, Probably the worst in my career, some of the individual daily falls that we've seen, um, or best if you're trying to invest money, it depends how you look at it. But some of the worst times, um, individual days rather, 
uh, that we've had, and this person happened to invest the day before this all happened. Um, if you've in- if you just invested in ETFs or shares, and then you've looked down at your brokerage account, you've gone, "Oh my, this is worse than the third John Wick movie." Well, you know what? It's not all that bad. I've got some options for you. Of course, I'm talking to the people who are investing um, and ac- accumulating assets. So, if you've read Robert Kiyosaki's book Rich Dad Poor Dad, he talks about accumulating assets, so things that make you money and getting rid of all the liabilities, the things that don't make you money. And so I'm talking about um, investing for the people who are investing for the long term. If you rely on your money, if you're transitioning to retirement, this is not the conversation for you. But there are effectively three options for accumulators like me. The first is that you can pull some of your money out of the market, right? That's an obvious thing. You can go into your brokerage account and go, I'm going to sell 20% of whatever my investments are. You could do that. I haven't done that. Just as a, I'm just jumping ahead of myself, but I haven't done that because, you know, people think that they can outsmart the stock market in the short run. I don't believe so. I believe we can um, reliably predict which businesses are going to be better in the future or stronger or more profitable. And we can back people that run really great exceptional businesses. But I don't know what's going to happen day to day because in the short term, the market is driven by emotion, fear, greed, those types of things rather than actual fundamentals of business and operating performance. But if you are in this camp and you say, well, maybe I can sleep better if I can sell, you know, 20 or 30% of whatever I own. My question to you would be, um, how do you decide when to sell and how much do you sell? At what prices do you sell? And then will you have the nerve to get back in once it's fallen or if it falls? Or will you think, oh no, it's still scary then and then you miss an opportunity altogether? So what I find is that people who make these decisions are often then tentative to invest back into the market after it has fallen. So we think, you know what, I'll just wait for the crash. And then it gets to the crash and like, oh, geez, this is really scary. I'm going to wait a little bit longer. And then they never get back in. So the second option you have is sell everything. Now, you could say, bugger off shares, bugger off Owen. I'm going to go back to my property and my term deposits and I'm going to earn oh less than 1%. And then tax and then inflation. Oh, geez. So that's kind of the option, right? Yes, you could feel good in the short term, but it's probably only a short term fix. It's kind of like a band-aid for your investments. So I've talked about this many times. I've talked about market crashes. I've talked about the power of long-term investing. Well, we know, um, you know, Kate's even brought this up in the past that long-term investing works. It works. And it works for the reason that you take risk with the money and then you get rewarded for that risk over the long term. Maybe not each week, definitely not each day, maybe not even from one year to the next, but over the very long term. The final option that you have, the the final option you can be thinking, well, what are my choices? This is the final option. You could stay the course. And by that, I mean, you could just keep accumulating assets. So each fortnight, each month, whenever you get paid, you can still just tuck your money away. Maybe it's $500, maybe it's $1,000, maybe it's $2,000 if you're doing really well. And you can put that into your investing account and just invest it rain, hail or shine. So that's just dollar cost averaging. That's just basic um, investing regardless of whatever happens to the market. You're just taking advantage of what you know is the um, superior way um, to allocate your capital. So you know that investing money is probably better than saving it when interest rates are so low. Even if that means a lot of volatility and scary times in the next one to three years, over the long term, that is typically what is the best option for people based on all of the data that we have in the past. Okay, so we're coming to the end of the episode. 
What's your checklist for this episode? First one is a no-brainer. Do you have your cash buffer? So we've said at least $2,000 to get to that. You can, uh, if you go back to your go bag, your emergency cash buffer uh, episode, you can find out how we can give you some tips in doing that. But the, the most obvious one is sell some stuff, save some extra cash, don't go out, save the money. Um, these are, you know, we might be forced to stay home in the next few weeks, which would probably be a good thing for our, our hip pocket. So um, as long as you're still paid, keep saving that money. Put it in that offset if you've got a mortgage or your redraw if you've got a mortgage or put in a high interest savings account and keep it there. Don't touch it. That's what it's for. You know, if the the worst should possibly happen, which I don't think is going to happen, but if it does, then you've got that there. And remember, we want to get that to up to six months, up to six months of living expenses. It's a lot of money, but if you put that money against your mortgage, then you can actually, it's, it's actually a good use of money. So toilet paper, do you need it? Well, we, yeah, you probably do, but you probably don't need as much as what some people are, uh, are accumulating. We're talking about accumulating assets. Uh, toilet paper is not something that pays you a dividend and it does not pay you a rental income. So it's probably not something that you need to, uh, pile high in your third or fourth bedroom. But, um, by all means, knock yourself out. I probably do need to go get some if there's some available. Uh, the, the next one is make yourself valuable at work and consider working from home. So, uh, if you can work from home, why not? Ask your boss, can I just work from home? I'm going to do the same amount of work. I'm going to get my job done. Why don't I work from home? And um, you can save money on things like travel and, and fuel costs and all those types of things. But make yourself valuable. Tell your boss why you're such an outstanding employee. Make sure you keep that job because that is arguably the most important factor to consider at any time in your um, professional life is just keeping yourself employed. The next one is um, avoid, avoid, avoid extra debt. So no second or third investment properties, no matter what the the tub of rock hair gel 25-year-old with tight pants is telling you on Instagram, second or third properties are great when things are going well, but they're not great when things aren't going well. So again, I'm not saying predicting doom and gloom for the property market, but you know, avoid debt because debt sucks the life out of you. It's what keeps people's a slave to the man, quote unquote. Avoid it. Avoid credit cards. Avoid afterpay. Cut your expenses. Cut into your expenses and don't force yourself to use debt or short-term credit. Um, slow and steady almost always wins the race. So there is a reason why the likes of Warren Buffett chose never to use debt, but he still became a billionaire, right? Think about that for a second. The next one is upskill or reskill. Use that hour a day. Take some online courses. Take some short courses. Do some uni degrees. Just be productive with your time. Um, we've talked about how... You can take our courses, you can t- listen to other podcasts, just upskill. Make yourself more valuable at work, make yourself more valuable in general. The fitting way to end this episode, I think, is to ask you a question. So I'm going to ask you this question. Do you remember how the share market performed after the dot-com boom and bust? Or when SARS broke? Or when the s- swine flu was out? Do you remember the GFC and how the stock market performed in and out of that? Do you remember how the stock market performed during the Brexit vote? That was only a few years ago. What about when Donald Trump was elected? That was a few years ago as well. Or what about during the bushfires we've had, the tragic bushfires we've had uh, in recent months? I'll let you in on a secret that the headline writers do not want you to know. Since January 1900, investing your money over any reasonable period of time has always been the best thing to do with it. 
So despite wars, terrorism, recession, even Channel 10's airing of the Shire, for those of you who have been around a few years, oh my lord, Donald Trump's wig, or even those bizarrely timed political videos from the marketing departments of those politicians, proper long-term investing wins. It's investing over the long term that wins. If you have your finances set up, you're prepared. It's investing that wins. You might not think it, but the reason that investing for the long term works is that the world is on a bumpy road, but a steady road towards a brighter future. With more brilliant people and more profitable companies turning secrets into profits that change humanity for the better, the world is becoming a better place. Not every day, not every week you see this, but over the long term, it is definitely and undeniably happening around us. That's why I'm still invested. I haven't sold shares for a few months, but that's just me. I could try and time my market, sure, and maybe I'll avoid some losses in the coming month or year, but why would I do that when I can sleep easy at night knowing that I've got my small amount of chips on the table and I'm maybe even accumulating more shares at even better prices? When my bet is on a better future, why would I do anything else? Coronavirus is a very dark topic and it's you know making all of the headlines right now. So thank you for tuning into this long-winded episode. I implore you to listen to the Jolly Swagman podcast. I implore you to read... The, um, the factual documents that I've attached to the resources section of this podcast episode. There are lots and lots and lots of good resources in there that will help you understand the symptoms, the actions that you can take, such as cleaning your hands, uh, avoiding con- unnecessary contact with surfaces or people or going to public events. Um, one of the things that we've got here in Melbourne this weekend is the Formula One, which bizarrely, I do not understand why that is still going ahead. Um, in the meantime... Again, please take a look at the show notes. Feel free to use your one hour a day to um, take one of our free courses on the RASC education site, read some of our articles on RASC Media. Um, I'll also be publishing a free investment report uh, for anyone who signs up to our newsletter in about a week or two. So keep an eye for that. I'll probably be back before then, but keep an eye out for that. And in the meantime, just remember that once you have your finances set, the final challenge is just in your mind. So stay positive. Keep saving and investing, and I'll see you in the next episode as we talk about some real-life events. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. My name is Owen Raskovich. As always, you can reach me at podcast at ras.com.au. That's podcast at ras.com.au. And once again, thanks for being with me. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. 
This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.